But I think as I was thinking about what we might talk about this morning or what I might explore this morning, I thought about, well, we could talk about justification. We could talk about glorification. We could talk about election. We could talk about a number of things. And yet something that was on my heart and what I was thinking about was prayer. My own prayer life, whether sometimes waxing and waning it feels, but it's something so important and essential to the Christian life. But it also shows up in all kinds of interesting ways in pop culture, right? I was, I was looking at some – I got sidetracked during my catechism preparation, and I, uh, I was looking at funny prayers from different cultural references. And uh, I was reminded, of course, of if you've seen uh, – Christmas vacation where uh, the aunt starts saying the Pledge of Allegiance when asked to pray. Um, I mean, if you've seen uh, Meet the Parents, uh, Ben Stiller, who's Jewish, is at his in-laws and he's trying to pray. And of course, that's always entertaining. But I also came across uh, Homer Simpson in The Simpsons praying and he essentially prays to God And he says, hey, everything is really good right now, God. Uh, Don't change anything. Thy will be done. Uh, Life is good. Thy will be done. Let's not change anything. Let's not have anything happen that might be contrary to what's going well for me. And I even have a plate of chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk to offer you up and in sacrifice. And if you would like me to eat them for you, I will do that. (laughs) And then he eats the cookies and milk. And in perfect Homer Simpson style, the scene moves on. But I think oftentimes in our Christian life, we can either misunderstand prayer or maybe feel a great deal of regret because we do not pray enough. Or we fail to be honest in our prayers because we are afraid to say the wrong thing, either theologically or personally. Prayer is a touchy thing. So today we are going to deal with two simple points guided by the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And we're actually going to look at the text of Matthew 6, 5 through 8, right before the Lord's Prayer, to kind of frame what prayer is. Because I think we're, we're well familiar with what the Lord's Prayer is. We often pray it in, in corporate worship. But I think we haven't asked or haven't thought well enough about how the text that comes right before the Lord's Prayer frames how uh, Jesus wants us to actually understand prayer. So two things. It's going to be really straightforward. What prayer is not and what prayer is. What prayer is not and then what prayer is. So if you'll turn with me, let's look briefly at Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. says here, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who does who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, 
for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. It's interesting here, and the way I'm going to frame what prayer is not is to talk about it essentially in two categories. The prayers that oftentimes secular people in our culture like to pray or people who are somewhat familiar with Christianity but not necessarily religious like to pray. And then we're going to talk more pointedly about such Pharisees or Pharisaical religion and how they've framed prayer and how Jesus seems to be talking about both of these different types of groups in trying to understand prayer. See, a number of things could be spoken of in regards to what prayer is not. But again, we're going to hone in on two principles that are often reflected in our culture. One primarily religious and one is in the culture at large. Now, in thinking about Secular culture or just culture in general, oftentimes prayer can be understood in a number of ways by what I described in my illustration that was pretty silly about Homer Simpson. But uh, about 15 to 20 years ago, researchers, religious researchers, started looking into the religious life of Americans. And they started to come up with this phenomenon called moralistic therapeutic deism. Now, moralistic therapeutic deism is essentially God is only involved in my life when I want him to be involved. Of course, he created all things, but he just he kind of exists for when I need him. And they came up with five key tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism that is often saturating Christianity. And one of them was this. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. That's one of the key tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. And I think it's easy to see oftentimes when we're talking to our friends who appear to be Christians and often are not Christians at all. They want a God who is sort of there when they can pray to him. And they often, God is treated as some sort of Santa Claus. Once a year, we need to swing around, look to Santa Claus, make sure we're doing all the right things. And ask him for the thing that we really, really need. In times of crisis, will these people tend to pray to God? And now that they need something from him, and it almost sounds like what the Gentiles do. They use empty phrases. They pray when it suits their own happiness or their own goodness. They seek a holy triune God with no wherewithal of what they're doing. They have no idea. And so God is only generically involved in these people's lives to make them happy. That's one of the key tenets of moralistic therapeutic deism. And so a prayer life is really only centered around praying for things that will seek my own self-interest. When I was a young child... My prayers were often like this. I wanted to pray oftentimes right before I had a big game. I wanted to win. I was super competitive as a child. Still fairly competitive. And so the night before my fourth grade basketball game, I'd pray, God, you're awesome. I know who you are. I love Jesus. We need to win tomorrow. We have to win tomorrow. In your sovereign will. Please allow us to win. That's what my prayers look like. 
They really only served whether I was going to be happy or not. They were self-focused. And we reach a problem when we understand prayer this way. And we, under, we see the problem in moralistic therapeutic deism in that the problem is, is God is essentially being defined as impersonal in this worldview until we make him personal. We've made God responsive to the whims and wills of whatever we'd like for him to do for us. It's all about our desires. And that's not saying all of our desires are bad or evil. It's not even that we shouldn't pray for good things. But if God is impersonal until we want him to be personal, then that is not a God worthy of our worship. And that's also not a God that cares and provides for you. That's just a God that, that's a divine vending machine. I'm going to stick in my quarters and hit the button. And junk comes out. That's, that's what that is. That's often how our culture views prayer, but it's also easy for some of us to fall into the hypocrisy of pharisaical religion when considering our own prayer life. I, I do this often. See, oftentimes in our religious circles... Prayer becomes the marker of our righteousness. I'm doing this in order to get favor from God because I'm righteous. Oh, I pray often. so God must be on my side. I'm holier than these people. Lord, I'm going to pray against those people because whatever. I don't like my neighbor, and so I'm going to pray against them, and I'm holier and better than them. Etc., etc. And our prayer life becomes defined by a personal righteousness that we try to seek to gain. This is what he's calling out here early on. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What do the hypocrites do? They stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that they will be seen. See, it's not only our own righteousness that we're seeking in accordance with the God who we pray to, it's also another impulse that we have is to appear holier than those around us by the words that we use. And maybe it's the theological precision that we employ. Again, not a bad thing. But sometimes our hearts need to be checked when we're praying in a specific way to sound as though we might be more theologically precise than those around us. Or better than those around I mean, our prayer life is, is essentially being defined again by what we do. Or, or oftentimes, if you grew up, I grew up in circles like this. If you grew up in evangelical circles, there's also this impulse that religious people have, Christian people have, to uh, pray and make it sound like super sincere, like super deep. Like, oh, I'm just pouring out everything that I could think of to pray. So that people think that, oh man, I really love Jesus. It's not really about praying to our Lord and praying our deepest desires to him. It's, it's essentially to appear more sincere than anyone who's around you. It gives you an emotional high, maybe. So now that I've talked about what prayer is not, it all probably sounded very negative. What is prayer then? 
What is prayer? Well, Ursinus defines it this way, and it's a long definition, but I think it's a really good one. He says here, prayer consists in calling upon the, dr- the true God and arises from an acknowledgement and sense of our want and from a desire of sharing in the divine bounty in true conversion of heart and confidence in the promise of grace for the sake of Christ the mediator, asking at the hands of God such temporal and spiritual blessings as are necessary for us, or in giving thanks to God for the benefits received. Or to summarize, it's to know the will of our Lord and pray to our, that our mediator would mediate for us, to, give our, to lift up our desires to our Lord and Savior, and to give thanks to God for all the things that he's done. That's how our sinus is outlining prayer. And I, and I ask the question, how often does our prayer life look like that? Calling upon the true God and, and sharing in the divine bounty with all of our desires. giving thanks to God for all of these things. I am not doing this regularly enough. And yet what benefit is, benefit it is that God has given us prayer because prayer is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace that God has given for our good so that we might grow more and more in holiness and likeness of our Savior. The catechism uh, uses the proof text of Psalm 10, verses 17 and 18, and it says here, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Prayer is a means of grace, and it's given for our good. And it's good because God has given us a means by which we might give thanks to him, but also share our deepest longings, our anxieties, our wants. It's a divine dialogue that God allows us to speak to him. It's a gift. Prayer is a gift for our good. It also graces us in in our sanctification. Oftentimes we ask, well, what does my sanctification look like? And that's a good question. Sometimes we know and sometimes we don't know, especially in moments where it feels like the Lord is pressing on us, pruning us. Showing us our sinfulness. It can be overwhelming. Or maybe it's an immense trial. And prayer is there as a means that we might be sanctified. That we might actually grow. And oftentimes we pray for things and, and the challenge is that, well, God, I ask that I might grow and then you did this thing and and now this is really hard and I really don't like this. It's like, well, you asked that you would grow. 
prayer is a means of grace. But finally, prayer is evidence that we can have confidence that God hears us and knows us. And that when we do not know what to pray, our mediator intercedes for us, as Romans 8.34 says. The fact that when we do not know what to pray, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying on you and I's behalf is great news. And that when maybe we pray the wrong thing, or we pray contrary to what God might have us pray, that Jesus is praying For you and I. He's interceding for you and I. That in the midst of our sanctification, in the midst of our growth, in the midst of our challenge, that Jesus is praying for you and I. So, what then are we to do? Prayer is a means of grace. Prayer is, as Ursinus defined it, are sharing in the divine bounty. So what are we to do? And I don't always, I'm not always good at application. I'm not good at always knowing what to tell people to do. But I think with prayer, the first thing is to simply pray. Pray unceasingly. Pray throughout your day. Little things, small prayers, big prayers. Pray. Knowing that your Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for you. What are regular rhythms throughout the day that you can just develop that you might pray and get into more of a habit that you might want to pray more? And not for the sake of earning or getting something or out of some pietistic sort of religiosity to build in patterns of prayer, but... Just start praying before and after meals. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed, just start praying. It's a means of grace to you and I. It's for our good. Because if you start doing that, when you don't know where to turn, when trial comes, when you're overwhelmed by the sin of the world or your own sin, You'll know exactly what to do. Pray. Um, The famous hymn writer, John Newton, uh, was working on a hymn book uh, with one of his friends. And they were working on this project together. And shortly after they started it, John Newton's friend went insane. And he almost didn't finish the project. Took him many years to come back to it. He was completely downtrodden, discouraged, disheartened. And he wrote this song that I think captures the essence of prayer really well. He wrote the song, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. It starts with this question that this Christian is asking to the Lord. They're asking that they might grow. And that in, in some favorite hour that the, that the Lord would give them exactly what they need and what they want in that moment. And then it talks about the sin that the Lord opened their eyes to. 
both in the world and in themselves. And they're overwhelmed with this immense trial. And at the end, um, it says, I asked the Lord that I might grow. Um, And the Lord replied, I answer prayers for grace and faith that thou may seek thine all in me. Prayer orients us to our Lord in a way that many things do not. And it's for our good that our Lord hears us, knows us, and prays for us, even when we have nowhere to turn. Let's pray. God, I thank you for um, the means of grace that you have given us to pray. I thank you that you hear your sheep, that you know our name, that you know the deepest parts of us and hear from us. I pray that you would continue to call us to yourself through prayer. Thank you, Lord for your word that you have given us this morning and the wisdom of the church in giving us wisdom on prayer and a number of things that we might uh, better worship and glorify you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In right fashion, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Help us to 